Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Soundproof Creatives. This episode is sponsored by Ferris Ryan Designs. They are a design company that works with live performance artists and startups. They help artists and other businesses create brands that stand out in their markets and speak for themselves. If you haven't seen already, Soundproof Creatives got a new logo and website recently that Ferris Ryan Designs worked on. They also made the podcast art for this episode you're listening to. If you're interested in taking your business to the next level, you can find them on social media at Ferris Ryan or their website, FerrisRyanDesigns.com. That's spelled F-A-R-I-S-S-R-Y-A-N Designs. Thanks, Ferris. Soundproof. Back to Soundproof Creatives Podcast with your girl, Angela, and we are in season two. If you haven't had the chance to listen to the past episodes, you can do that on my website as well as visit any of the streaming services and look for Soundproof Creatives. But today, today is a special show for you. I had the opportunity to chat with Lyrical Faith a few months ago. She is the founder of Black Greek poets and a co-founder of the Harlem Bomb Shelter. We had a chance to talk about her inspiration, her love, her advocacy, and just for educating, as well as creating spaces for adults and youth. This is Lyrical Faith. On December 4th, 2019, BuzzFeed reported that Pinterest bans the search of plantation weddings. According to Google, there are 93.6 billion results for these celebrations. In particular, the wedding industry routinely denies a violent history and continues to promote plantations as romantic places to marry. My great-grandparents are from an island in South Carolina where the water has eroded acres over time. The neighboring plantation be a stone's throw away. My southern roots are tied to a location where millennials pretend to be antebellum, placing their bodies against the backdrop of slavery, clothing themselves in nostalgia, buttoned up tucks and white dress to play purity on quarters of bondage and bloodshed. You can search the pictures. Bear witness to the poplars, see how low the branches hang, positioned to exchange boughs beneath where bodies would swing. You can almost touch the hem of the cotton. Smell the sweats dripping from a forehead, feel the breeze droop over the picnic, then marvel at the water. They wanna have live music preferably jazz or rhythm and blues, something about the shucking and jiving of blackness is so matrimonial. How about soul food? Tea, sweetened from the sugar cane, stirred slow from the woman in the big house. How much for the black eye piece per plate? We're paying good money to remind ourselves that we own the place. So they search for the mistress fit, the bouquet and back whip, placing photo booth in slave cabin, a white wine and cheese spread near the tobacco, a ledger for family and friends to sign in. Meanwhile, turning 
over beneath their feet. You hear the corpses that quiver from lashes on their flesh. You hear the bones that rattle when they couldn't have ceremonies like this. They wonder, when did this become popular? When did it never go out of style? How did our trauma become search engine? How do white folks say they don't want to remember when these crops are the backdrop to our history in America? How did forest fields of labor become a trending topic? A hashtag, a BuzzFeed, Pinterest, magazine, vision board party. Some white women have dreamed of this day their whole lives, so this is their rights, liberty, and pursuit of happiness because what is more American than slavery, God, and marriage. This is white history and will have memories to last us a lifetime. What was your creative journey? Wow, um, my creative journey. Okay, all right, let's start here. So. As a child, I, I've always loved to read and write. Mm-hmm. And that was always my strong suit. It was just, it was just my thing. Um, I read like all day. And so um, as, as a child, I went to a talented and gifted school. I'm from New York City, mm-hmm. um, the Bronx specifically, like born and raised. And um, in New York City, there, I mean, I'm pretty sure there, you know, this, there's uh, situations like this in other parts of the country as well. But specifically because of like how, you know, huh, the word isn't segregated. It's just like how um, how the school system is. It's just, you know, everything is like by property taxes and mm-hmm. different neighborhoods don't, you know, have, um, you know, good schools. Whereas, so it's pretty much like in New York City, there are opportunities, you know, there are talented and gifted schools, talented and gifted programs. And um, you can, you know, if you test well and get into those schools, then you have the opportunity to learn at an accelerated rate, um, you know, as a, as a black or brown student. Mm-hmm. So um, I was able to get into a talented and gifted program when I was in fourth grade, by the time I was in fourth grade. And so that school offered me, you know, it was great. It was much better than where I was before. I had gone to, you know, three different elementary schools um, and in that school, you know, I had like, there was different opportunities. There was elective classes. There was, you know, things within the arts, right? And my friends around me could sing, could dance, could do all these um, really, really cool um, things or whatever. And I really wasn't ever, I can't sing. Um, and I can't really dance. Like that's not, none, of those, none of those things are my thing, right? I was always very into like music, lyricism, um, rap, hip hop. And, um, and I always was into like writing and stuff like that. So pretty much by the time I was in sixth grade, um, we had a English teacher who had a course on, on poetry with us. However, instead of just, you know, studying like the, you know, old dead white men that, you know, we studied prior, like Shakespeare, all of that, that was considered poetry, um, she said, I'm going to do spoken word poetry with y'all. I'm going to do slam poetry with y'all. And so she showed us like HBO Def Jam poetry. And like she, um, you know, she kind of showed us like poetry that was like spoken out loud. Like we, we studied Maya Angelou. We studied like, you know, we studied like different you know aspects of the craft. And it was just like 
beautiful. It was like the most like seamless experience. I was like, I get this. I feel this. I understand this. And I was just like, I think I'm going to continue writing poems. And so um, the poem that I wrote for, for ending the unit, it was actually so good and, you know, followed all the like the rules to be interactive and just everything like that. It was just so talented that my peers were all very excited about it. My teacher was very excited about it. Um, I was told to like perform it in front of the principal. I was told to do it at the talent shows. And um, and from there on in, I was just like, I'm gonna just keep writing poetry. I was always a very like, I'm the youngest of six. So I was always a like suppressed child. Like I didn't really have a voice in um, my family. And you know, and sometimes still don't. And then, and so I, um, you know, I just use poetry as an outlet. I use my writing as an outlet, as a diary, as a journal, as, you know, whatever I was going through um, to kind of just like get that out. And so that was, that was at age 12. That was uh, in sixth grade, right? Mm-hmm. So from there on in, I kind of just um, continued writing. Throughout high school, I didn't necessarily go to the high school that had like all the cool clubs and activities and all that. High school was, it was still a good school. It was an accelerated high school in, in the Bronx, but it was like a, it was a, it was a very small school, still developing. So there wasn't like any opportunities to kind of do things that were like really cool or whatever. So I did always kind of like get involved with things outside of school. So I got, I joined a couple of organizations. Um, I joined, you know, I, I always worked a job, you know, I was always kind of like had my hands in something, um, you know, activities, programs outside of school. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the organizations that I joined, um, gave me access to, um, another community, a poetry community, um, where I essentially became the founder or the co-founder of an open mic and showcase that took place in Harlem called the Harlem Bomb Shelter. Mm-hmm. So um, that was in 2012. That was my senior year of high school. Um, I was always I was already in another organization called Impact Repertory Theater, which is a arts and activism organization that um, it found also founded in Harlem. And so um, that I was a part of like this this communal family of like organizations that were kind of all you know related to each other. I was in a, a non Greek sorority. I'm still in all of these organizations, but. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in a non-Greek sorority called Phoenix Sorority, which is community-based. And so that's kind of like how I branched out and met all these other folks um, who were doing all this community artistic work. And so that gave me the outlet to then use my expression in those ways. Um, and and to, you know, to be a part of like a, a poetry home, like, you know, where it was like a open mic and showcase that happened in Harlem. Um, and I was like, you know, a co-founder of that. And then I got connected with like, you know, I had a couple friends at Urban Word, New York City, um, which is the premier youth poetry program in New York City. And so um, between all of the experiences and the interactions with within that community, that kind of like really built me up to, to be, you know, to, I, to really be this poet, like this poet that, you know, was performing, was doing these open mics, was sharing my work, you know, even did like a slam or two. And then I went off to college the very next year. So actually later on that year, that same year, I went off to college. And so at Syracuse University, which is where I went to undergrad, I joined the poetry program on campus. It was literally the first thing that I found in like the first or second week of school. And so I was just like, there's a poetry program? Stop. 
content. I'm in here. Um, and I pretty much was just like, I'm just going to do exactly what I feel like I was di- doing at home. I'm getting involved in the poetry program. I'm getting involved in like anything that has to do with like service. I'm going to get involved in things that have to do with activism, get involved with um, the step team because I was on the step team when I was um, in high school as well. So I was going to do all of that. So poetry program. I was also biting off more Nakashu. I was taking 17 credits. It was my first semester of college. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was also not, I was also not sleeping. I was also working like three jobs. But anyway, um, so, but that story is my life, right? Because that pattern has remained consistent to this very day. Um, but either way, right? Mm-hmm. Through time in college, dropped my time in college. I was in the poetry program um, and it was workshops, open mics and slam. So I started getting into SLAM in college because they, you know, at, at my school, they, um, the program put on SLAMs. And that was the first time that I was really able to be like, I'm gonna compete with these poems and there's gonna be numbers that's put to my poetry. And I'm gonna have to like, you know, really like bring out this competitive spirit in me if I'm trying to win. Um, and then I lost my first ever SLAM. Um, <laughs> competed in um and because and I lost because I dropped the poem did not make it to the second round and I was just so embarrassed and I was just like yeah I don't know about this slam thing I don't know if I can do this (laughs) and then um thank god I had such a supportive community at Syracuse because my other upperclassmen friends who were in the program were like you should you know you should try it again you should try it again you've been writing you can do this right Mm -hmm. and that's before I understood structure form you know like just maybe like technique like certain things like you know all I just all I knew was kind of just like how to write and kind of try to be engaging and interactive and kind of like be rhythmic and really just kind of like have a message and so like you know I'd be watching poets on YouTube and things of that nature at the time Strivers Row was my biggest inspiration because this was like 2012 2013 so it was like Strivers Row everything like we you know brought them to campus a bunch of times like and so um I so anyway the very next semester I slammed and I was just like, you know, I'm gonna just do it just to redeem myself because I just feel like I dropped my poem the first time I did this and I'm just going, I, I don't want to go out like that. I slammed and I won first place. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so from there on in, it was just like, you know, that was that was the story. I just continued, um, I continued competing, performing. Um, I went off I went off to grad school after I graduated. Um uh, you know, I, before before I graduated, I was um, given the award of Poet of the Year at, at Syracuse. Um, after, you know, when I went to grad school, I was, you know, I created various poetry communities there. I went to NYU, so I was back in the city. Um, but I started slamming at the New York Poets Cafe and Brick in Brooklyn and just like got really, really heavy on the scene there. And then, you know, that's been, that's pretty much been me ever since I've been, I feel like I've been pretty much so slamming for like, um, I want to say the past five years. Wow. So, it, so when, so at the beginning, um, when you mentioned that, you know, you started, understanding spoken words started being introduced to that when you were younger. Um, now, of course, you know, content changes over the years, you know, especially when you're a child and then you you go to high school and then you go to college. So how has your message, do you feel that your message has, message has changed um, over the years? And how do you stay true to who you are with the ever-changing message? That's real. Um, I think... So one thing that my poetry mentor at Syracuse, his name is Cedric Bolton. Um, he always taught me that 
as an artist, I need to have a message. Like I need to have a a particular brand, something that I'm, you know, that I that I want to get, something that I, I want to make sure people know when they see me, when they think of me, when they know me, right? And so, um, for a while, for a really long time, um, even still, some people would argue <laughs> um, that you know I'm this like social justice poet um, that you know talks about because like at the time when I was like you know um, like you know heavy into like slam and and, po- and writing when I was in college it was 2014 2015 and that was the time of like Mike Brown Ferguson Trayvon been um like a couple years before that um the 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 Zimmerman acquittal all of all of that stuff so it was actually just like a really really heavy time we had like a die-in on campus we had um protests and all of that on campus so when all of that was taking place it was kind of like how could I not write about this um this is this is what I'm writing about because this is what I feel because I feel like like people should be killed and murdered um and I feel like we shouldn't be mistreated and I feel like we should be heard. And so this is my way of putting my voice on that, on that movement. And so, um, so that is that, so that was that, that, that was my message for a while. That's still, uh, you know, it's still a lot of my messages, but, um, over time, I will say that, you know, I have grown in a way like slam, slam teaches you to, to come out of boxes in a way that, you know, for you to kind of really challenge yourself. And so I've challenged myself to like, you know, think more introspectively, think more personally, think think about the things that make me uncomfortable. Think about mental health. Think about how I, you know, never knew that I needed therapy and never attended a therapy session in college, but I was, that would have been something that would have been highly necessary. Mm-hmm highly pivotal for my growth, but that didn't happen to me for me until like almost the end of graduate school. Um, think about like, and think about like, you know, things, things with my family, things that I've always wanted to write about, but have been, been afraid, afraid to right? And so all of those things have like, you know, kind of like come into my voice now so that I'm like this, um, you know, I, I just consider myself that no matter what my work does, um, or says, I just consider myself someone who wants to place some level of like education, mm-hmm. um, some level of activism, um, and 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 just like some level of like helping to challenge a narrative, helping to inspire um, a person that's listening to think about something differently. And so that's what I would describe my work as now. Um, whether it's you know whether I'm talking about you know police brutality or um, my, you know, my relationship with my, my parents or, um, just like, um, mental health or any, anything like that. I just want somebody to leave the room feeling like a difference was made and how they, and how they thought about this. And, you know, it's amazing because, um, it sounds like, you know, you just started developing um, yourself as, you know, when, again, as when you were young. And now what did your parents think when they heard your first poem or have you, they have, have, have you had a chance to perform with them? Because I know sometimes it can be with, you know, you have family members or close friends. They may not understand what we do and we become protective of our art. So mm-hmm. have you had the opportunity to perform in front of your family and what were their thoughts? Yeah, so I, I, that's always a very interesting thing because I started when I was performing and getting into all of that stuff at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. 
like, I was just telling my mom on the phone or whatever. I'm like, oh, you know, mom, you know, I had this competition or slam coming up, whatever. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm going to do it, see what happens. I'm stressed preparing for it, whatever. And I still have those conversations. I'm like, yeah, I'm stressed preparing for this, this head to head that I have and blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But I never was like, I hope you can hear one day. Like, I, I never was like, I, you know, I want y'all to come to my shows. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was like that. I was always kind of like really protective over my stuff because I just didn't want y'all to like, I just didn't want them to like be in this like kind of community with me because it's the mm-hmm. very different and it just calls out so much stuff that they, <laughs> that they, that they probably, that would probably make them very uncomfortable and they should be, but that, that doesn't mean that I want to co- go home and have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but, but nah, I think, um, it, yeah, so I think for me, I, I was doing things on my own, and then because of Facebook and because of YouTube and because of Instagram and all my family members kind of seeing, oh, Deborah, your daughter is doing da 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 da, and you know, it's like because of all the all these like cousins and and all of this, all of this, all aunties and uncles that I have on Facebook seeing me post, I just won this or I just got this or I'm going here or I'm performing here tonight, they're like. Wow. So they're calling her, telling her. And so now my mom is all invested. Like, oh, well, uh, uh, let me know when you have a show that I can come. And I'm like, you wasn't thinking nothing about this when I was, you know. <laughs> but but it, 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 I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. You know, she she always knew that I did it, but she was just never like, it wasn't like a big deal. Now she understands that it's a critical part of my identity because I think social media has blown, you know, blows everyone's actions up in such a way where like everyone you know is so visible um and so she she could not notice it right and but everything I do with my poetry stuff is like things that I try to you know I try to you know create my brand on my own I try to you know work out my business aspects and things of that nature on my own I do ask my mom for you know um just maybe like advice or something like that when it comes to certain things every now and then because she she is very good at like discerning like you know maybe you should do this decision instead of that decision or something like that but um I do think that there's still a fine line between like when thing when I'm writing about certain things that I know needs to be written because it you know it is a part of me releasing my childhood traumas or it's a part of me releasing you know my real thoughts about something I know a lot of those topics um will make people in my family uncomfortable so it's not necessarily I'm not necessarily opening the door wide open saying hey come to this event come see this phone whatever because I don't want them to be sit up here and like criticize my work in such a way where they feel like I should or shouldn't be saying something so if they happen to see things that's fine um if they don't I'm not necessarily inviting them over I feel you on that. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier, um, and, and your message actually resonates, is activism. Um, you mentioned at one point that um, that there's a, a deep history of activism and that our pen um, is a form of protest as well. Now, you've created so many spaces for youth um, as well as adults. So what do you find that you feel the most proud of? Like this 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 space that you created, what do you find that, okay, I'm protective of it and I'm most proud of this because it's made the biggest impact? Wow. So I would say right now, for sure, it would definitely be um, uh, this group that I founded called Black Greek Poets. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm the founder and the president of um, 
this collective essentially it is for artists writers performers poets um who are also members of the of historically black greek organizations otherwise known as the divine nine i myself am a member of delta sigma theta sorority incorporated and so um as i was like so pretty much it was founded last year 2019 but i um I, you know, I was kind of like, you know, making very subtle moves with it for a while because I was so busy with everything else going on. And then once quarantine hit um, back in March and April, I was like, you know what, this is the perfect time for me to kind of just like re regather some of the folks that I've been meeting in some of these online spaces and just be like, hey, this is the thing. I would love for you to join the group. I would love for the group to, you know, expand in such a way where, you know, you all can, you know, can benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happened. Um, Black Greek Poets has grown rapidly over the quarantine era mm-hmm. to the point where we service um, a general body of about 200 plus um, individuals who are poets and performers and writers who are also members of Black Greek organizations. Nice. And I lead an e-board of nine people who are now my co-founders um, who um, who essentially have helped to form and shape and grow these this organization in such a way. Um, we've been able to do really awesome work within the Greek online community. Um, we've been able to create a community within a community and we don't only have events or you know, um, activities for members who are in the group chat is also for everyone else, right? We have Queen's Talks or Queen's Talks. We have King's Talks um, with, with just with just the sisters, with just the brothers. Um, we open it up to everybody. We talk, we tackle certain issues that we feel like us as members of um, Black Greek organizations should be talking about because there's been a lot of like, there, there are a lot of issues that um, I feel like are ignored within our community. Like for example, over the summer, um, sexual assault was a on college campuses. Um, it is it was over the summer specifically, but is consistently always a very big issue. As um, as all of these Instagram pages were coming out with the sexual assault cases and stories of people, you know, anonymous survivors expressing what what their stories were. Um, Black Greek poets was like, we have to say something about this because many of Many of these situations, specifically with the, the people in the Black community, um, have been like the violence has been inflicted on them by people in the Greek community, by athletes, by like so. It's just like so as these being a part of these ecosystems that actively work to uphold um, rape culture. How are we being silent about this when we are, you know, when we're poets? When our whole entire job is to, um, you know, to to use our platform to spread particular messages and notions that cr- that critically analyze, that critically, um, you know, go after certain issues. And so, um, so we had a lot of conversations about that and what that means for us and what that, you know, what parts that we can play to, to change things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also have talks about relationships and like dynamics between like, you know, um, you know, men and women and individuals. Um, we talk about um, we talk about oh a lot of a lot of the massage noir stuff that has happened over the past few months as well, um, like how black women are feeling about that, um, you know what it means to believe black women and stand by black women and protect black women, um, 
And so we talk about all those things and it does get very deep. And we have, you know, we have been able to, you know, speak about these things, but it, it feels very good as a poet and as an artist to be able to use our voices for, you know, something outside of a poem that can also help to, to you know, have ne- to, to play a role in how p- people are thinking and understanding things and talking about things. We, we had something about the election as well and why I was to get out and vote this year. Um, so we did, we've done all of those things. And um, that to me has been very impactful. We've been able to create community. We've been able to bring guest speakers. We've been able to talk about poems. We've been able to write together, we've been able to laugh together. We've been able to cry together. Um, we've been able to have all of these, um, you know, great virtual experiences um, and really build bonds that, um, that are meaningful. And so because of that, um, in addition to just all of the poetry events that we would have, um, our open mics, our showcases, our slams, like all of those things um, have really built Black Greek poets up to be, um, you know, more than what I could have ever imagined at this moment in time. And so I'm really grateful for that. And, and it sounds like you're creating another, you know, powerful brand. It's more, you know, an extension to to what you're already doing because you also have um, the organization. Um, is it Poetry for Service? Yes. yes. Poetry for Service is my baby. I also found it. So that was founded in actually almost, oh my goodness. I want to say in two days would be the one year anniversary oh, wow. <laughs> of my wow. launch of Poetry for Service. So that was December, 2019. And um, yeah, so poetry and public service organizations dedicated to um, using the power of creative writing and spoken words to um, to give marginalized voices um, a way to express themselves. And so um, it's just making the arts accessible, you know, having poetry workshops and poetry events in, um, you know, low-income communities, Black and Brown communities, um, just communities of folks who have been, you know, historically, um, um, you know, disadvantaged and things of that nature. Um, But also, there's another leg of it that I still am building out, but it's um, essentially having... um, and this is actually the, one of the most important legs that, and that's why I'm taking my time because I want to make sure I do this right. But it is um, having poetry that is in, uh, having poetry events that are accessible to um, individuals who have been affected by the justice system. Mm-hmm. So formerly incarcerated individuals. And so like, um, so that that part is very special to me because Poetry for Services, um, you know, definitely supposed to, um, you know, we're working on having workshops with uh, formerly incarcerated individuals to, you know, be a creative uh, lens, a creative program that will allow for them to be able to write and express themselves in particular ways. I know there are so many stories that be um, that can be shared, and that that piece um, is actually the um, piece that that I was inspired. It, it, uh, the story came from an experience that I had in undergrad at Syracuse. Um, So just to make the story like as short as possible, um, a professor, uh, a creative writing, a creative writing professor that I had after class, he said, if you're a poet, come up to me. I went up to him after class. He said, hey, um, I'm doing this uh, poetry slam with inmates at the um, um, Auburn Correctional Facility, which is um, also somewhere in upstate New York, in Auburn, New York. And so he said, um, would you like to come with me? It's a community service thing that I do. We said, sure. So I went with him. Um, no, like, you know, we, we got me entered into the facility, no phones, no electronics, no nothing. Um, 
So literally only my memories, but we went in there, we went into their um, their English class and he did this slam. And the way they stood and like did these pieces and these poems that they had been working on, it was like the most bizarre experience I've ever had in my life. I was just like, wow. Um, there's so there's just there's just so much talent here and like nobody can nobody hears it nobody sees it and so that to me showed me that that was important enough for me to be able to be like I need to make sure that there's a, a portion of my program um, or programs that I build out that focus on this because I want other folks to 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 know to have this this power this platform for self-expression I want other folks to hear this I want this to be showcased to the world um so that to me is actually the most important part of poetry for service and um and so me being you know affected by um having a family member who had been uh, had been incarcerated for 25 years who is now um out and the director of a program that works before incarcerated individuals um that to me is you know very uh very important very special to be able to work on that and, and I think it's important for people to kind of um, have an outlet, like you, like you mentioned, that you, you, you know, that you feel like you had an outlet, and so that's why you started writing. And then just coming across people who aren't necessarily in the um, in a spoken word community or in a poetry community, you know, they feel that okay, I can put my thoughts, I can put my feelings, I can you know, discuss things on paper that no one knows about, no one has any idea of how I'm feeling, and no one's going to really get me, you know, so I think that that is so important, because, um, you know, one of the things, your, your given name means faith in Swahili, right? Yes! Yeah, so it's like, it feels like, you know, since you started, that it's this, it's this faith trip that you've been going on, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, it's just that, you know, it just keeps like it's intertwining and in everything you do because it's, it's, it's like a mature walk, if you will. So it's, you know, how do you find for someone who is, you know, who's your age or who's in college, um, a young adult, and they say, you know, I want to be able to make a difference. I want my voice to be heard. I want to highlight these other issues, but I don't know how to get started. I don't know, you know, who I need to connect with. What do you say to a person, a young person that says, you know what, I want to be more involved, but I just don't know how to do it. And I just need to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, that young person was, you know, def I definitely me. So I definitely would, um, First of all, tell them like, you can absolutely do whatever you set your mind to. Um, and I know that that sounds super cliche. <laughs> it, it, it does, but it, it's so true to me. I, I really believe that. Um, I've, I've been able to connect with people and, and places that I just only once thought about, dreamed about. Um, I definitely think that like, you know, God sets it up in a way where like the the what's for you will be for you and the right opportunities um, will fall into your lap when you um, when you position yourself in, in a particular way and when you have faith in a particular way that will allow for you to um, to walk that walk to, to go towards it. I think if you're following your passion, um, you can never you can never go wrong. You'll, I think that you'll like, you'll follow your passion um, and your passion will will bring you to places that you will be 
happy at, that you will be productive at, that you will be successful at if you continue to keep your passion first. If you're trying to follow money or I've just, I've seen this and I've experienced it myself. If you're just trying to follow money or, you know, clout or just, you know, I don't know what's, what's popular, what somebody else, what, what a parent wants you to do, what somebody else wants to do. You're always going to, you know, feel this, this level of unsettledness and unhappiness. Um, so first I would, you know, talk, first I would tell them like, you know, what, it, what is your, what do you care about? What is your passion? What are the things that you're doing? Like, you know, outside of your, you know, your day to day, like, you're, you know, if you're, if you're in school, if you're at work, what, what, what do you, what are the things you're doing outside of that, that kind of keep you going. Right. Um, and so once you find that, once you kind of like hone in on that, right. Okay. So then how can you do this in a way that allows for you to, um, you know, impact impact people like that allows for you to kind of like live out your goals like what are some like organizations or companies or positions or career paths or professional you know opportunities that allow for you to do this particular thing um a way that can kind of like set you on a path that that kind of gets you going in this direction that allows for you to kind of like build your you know build your skills build your build your life out the way that you see your life. Um, and so there's, and there's opportunities for it. Like literally this is 2020 and there are just so many things. There are so many fellowship opportunities. There are so many grants that someone can apply for. There are so many, you know, free classes that you can take that where you can learn about, you know, some of these opportunities. There's so many like people who, that you can network with, that you can learn from, that you can gain advice from. I, I so this, these past few weeks alone, mm-hmm. I've made it a personal mission of mine to um, really kind of like, because I actually just graduated from a, uh, it is a like a career professional development program that I was in for like three months. So I was in that program and that was like really um, super like impactful to kind of just thinking about like, you know, your career, your life, your goals, like where is this you're going? How is it that you're going to set it up? What is your plan? What is your, you know, all of those things. And so this past month alone, since, you know, coming out of that program and thinking about my next few steps, um, I've set up like a ton of conversations with people who are in positions or doing things that I would like to do um, to just to gain advice just to get a refreshing understanding of like some of the things that, you know, they've done and how opportunity, how God has like opened up doors in their lives and how they position themselves to do that. And so just those conversations alone have like challenged me and really pushed me to be like, okay, so these are things that I'm going to work on. These are things I'm going to do. These are, this is how I'm going to do it. And so it really helps when you seek out mentorship, when you seek out advice, um, when you see people doing those things, you're like, instead of just saying like, oh, I wish I was doing that, or I wonder how they're doing that, ask them, um, talk to them and really see how that, and, and also I'm a big, I'm a major advocate of everybody's path isn't going like there's no like cookie cutter version of like how you know you can follow the same thing that someone else did and end up in the same place or whatever gain as much as uh, different advice from uh, as much as uh, as many people as you can on um, people in places that you can and take that all together and put it in a pot right and then mix the pot so that you can uh then uh from the pot exactly what you need that works for your taste buds um 
And so that is what I've been doing. And that's what I would encourage anyone else to do if they are on, um, you know, a creative um, path, a, you know, an activist, uh, activist driven path, an educational path. Um, I consider myself all three. And so how am I taking what activists that I know and creatives that I know and educators that I know are doing and kind of like mix those things together so that I can um, continue to build out my, my path for myself. And, and that's amazing because sometimes we feel that we have to, you know, give up one part of us in order to succeed in another area. And it sounds like you, like you mentioned, you're combining everything uh, because it's your strength. And then in order to create open spaces, in order to open doors for other people and in order for them to kind of um, to, to have an outlet, like I mentioned earlier, you know, for them to have a voice, you know, and I think that that is really important because that was going to be one of the questions that I would ask is since, you know, you're a poet, you're an advocate, you're an uh, educator, you're a writer, what do you find yourself leaning towards, you know, in the future? But it sounds like you're still getting that information or, you know, kind of, you know, figuring out what is the most, the thing that is going to be highlighted the most. So I I think at least still a combination. I am, um, so my master's is in higher education and student affairs. And um, I I currently advise college students um, who attend uh, different schools all over. Um, And they're all from New York City and they're all black and brown. And um, what I want to do is more so, you know, put myself within the um, the higher education space in a way that um, allows for me to intertwine like um, educating and the arts. So I am um, continuing to, to package myself in a way where I can um, impact students, um, impact college students, motivate them um, through like through, you know, through the platform of like using the arts as a, as a springboard for social justice um, to, to speak to them, to, to host workshops with them, to um, create programming for them that allows them to, um, you know, creatively express themselves in particular ways. Um, so I am working on things that, you know, are allowing me to be able to do that to impact even more college students than the ones that I already advise um, to kind of like do that in other schools and other places and other cities. Um, and, and I've already been able to do things within the college circuit, um, you know, perform, have talkbacks, have interactive and engaging conversations with these students. But I really think that, you know, all of this stems back to my love for wanting to help wanting to make an impact with within others and then my my love for um higher education and wanting to like you know uh, insert myself in that field in a way that allows for me to um you know pay forward some of the experiences that allowed for me to realize that I had a voice. Um, I know that as a college student, you're consistently trying to figure out what your voice is, what your identity is, what you want to do, what you want to be, where you see yourself. Um, I have all these dreams that sometimes do not you know, happen when you, when you immediately when you graduate from college and you become discouraged. And so I'm trying to position myself in a way where I can figure out how to make that impact that allows for them to be confident in, in knowing who they are and what they want and what they care about. Um, and I want to do that through the arts. And so that is um, the direction that I'm, I'm, you know, headed in um, and, and have been kind of like doing the work for that at this time. Um, but I want to continue doing that within the, the higher education space. 
Nice. And it's, it sounds like it's, you know, f- becoming or coming around full circle for you because someone did that to you when you were younger. Now you're making the same impact and you're influencing others. Um, so that leads to the last thing. Um, I asked if you can perform a, a, perform a poem um, about your discovery moment or your aha moment, which it sounds like for you, which is just a blessing that you found out when you were younger because <laughs> then most of us, it takes, you know, years just to figure out, you know, what are, what is it that I want to do? You know, okay. I found this passion is taking forever, but it's great that you're, you know, you were introduced to it when you were so young. Um, do you have a piece that exemplifies where you were at? Um, you know, when, when you realized this is what I want to do. Right after I graduated from undergrad and I moved back to New York City to work full time for a company that um, I did not really like. And then um, also start grad school part time. And um, I was just like, you know, very stressed, very like, you know, still trying to figure everything out, still doing poems, but um, also just trying to, you know, figure out what this thing really looks like. And I continue to experience, you know, microaggressions and just like, you know, really weird, you know, just like normal um, (laughs) actions, others that, you know, I would come into contact with. And I realized that like, no matter how, you know, on top of the world I feel, no matter how like, you know, accomplished I feel, like I just finished four years at an amazing institution that, I, you know, made all this difference and made all this change. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to go out and be out in the world and do all these these prestigious, awesome things. But I realized that nobody sees my degrees when I'm walking down the street. Mm. As that, you know, that same summer, the summer of 2016, um, you know, two, you know, two Black men's video, viral videos went around on the internet um, because they got, you know, stopped and killed by police. Um, that was the summer of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. I realized that that was the year that Trump got elected and I worked at this, like, you know, this this really white company that, um, you know, didn't even realize or didn't even hear or see my voice. And so I wanted, so that all of those things could be a very discouraging um, situation to be in. And so I wanted to write this to not only just be a reminder to myself, um, but to just be a reminder to others that when the water gets murky to just keep swimming. So, yeah. You will graduate from your dream university, predominantly white institution, HBCU, Ivy League, CUNY, SUNY, whatever it may be. You will start work at your predominantly white company. You will be 30 to $75,000 deep in Sally Mae's misery. And when your pockets are empty, like dust lives in the depths of your sleeves and you are running low on sleep because all you can do is eat, sleep, and breathe your jaded American dreams, just keep swimming for me. You will still experience racism. You will be 
young and black with a college degree, but yet when you ask a white man for directions, he will walk right past you on the streets or a woman will put her bag next to her on the train so you won't be able to sit in that seat. They will follow you around in their stores with them cameras on repeat. They will still treat you like Emmett Till, like you don't deserve to exist above the Tallahatchie in the Mississippi heat as if your skin is an excuse for them to hang you by your feet and they'll throw you below H2O in hopes of defeat. But when they do, I need you to keep swimming for me. You will lose hope. At times, there will be a cloud of doubt hovering over your head. You will reminisce on how most mornings the hardest thing is getting out of your bed and you remember all the things those professors and guidance counselors said and realize life will teach you lessons. No three credit course can that the world is your campus and you are always a student. And we are still learning a language of which we are not fluent. And even when they suit up in their trunks and bathing suits to go through with it, you will stumble and crash and sometimes fall face first. But in a case worse, you'll be the last swimmer in the race worth fighting for. You will lose friends. Some will forever be in your life and others will come to an end. They will say you changed that you act like you're too good to remember from where you came as if you worked this hard to stay the same. I think Sean Carter said it best. You will build sand castles that'll all wash away and spend your spare time every morning on the train listening to Lemonade and, and work long weeks to afford tickets to that concert by Beyonce after your bills are paid and wonder if being an adult just becomes more worrisome each day, but today I need you to keep swimming. Even if you're the last fish in the sea, if you're about to jump on from overboard and drowning is not a foreign thought to believe. In fact, it's all too familiar. And this feeling will be the last breath of air that you breathe before you dive into a pool of your destiny. You will swim long. Even if other fish were hunted, slain, and eaten alive before they saw this day, you will swim like you are hungry. Then no matter that you will, that you will keep your head above water, they will try to suffocate you. They will try. They will try. Believe me. There is only a matter of time. And when they do, you will keep swimming like your spirit was built to fly. And that's nice. Nice. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that is inspiring. That is inspiring. Lyrical Faith, thank you for being on Soundproof Creatives. I just, um, I'm just so, just, I just love that. I just love that. I think that's a perfect ending. And your story is so beautiful. And I know it's still continuing to evolve and change and you're still growing. So thank you just for, you know, just for speaking with me. I do appreciate it. Oh, I'm smiling from ear to ear right now. Thank you for having me. This was a lovely, oh, just a lovely time kind of just talking and thinking about, you know, all the things in the world that, you know, all of us, um, you know, are feeling and experiencing and that are meaningful um, to me. So thank you for this platform and for allowing um, a, a way to support creatives at this time. 